Well, we are uh, in the final weeks of a Growing Forward series that we began back in February. And so in light of just a few weeks remaining, I, I want to do a review. And I want to do a bit of a serious review. In other words, uh, I want to take about 15 minutes here um, before we dive into Colossians 3 and uh, uh, do a review. And so I'm going to be using the side screens kind of like my whiteboard here for this. Uh, to remind us where we've come from and, and kind of even why we've been doing that. And it began in February. And in February, with this Growing Forward, forward series, we began by taking a look back. Uh, if we don't know where we came from, we really don't know where we are now. If we don't understand why we're here, we really don't understand why we are here now. And so we took a look back and, and went to Genesis 1 through 3, uh, created by God, placed by God, and broken by choice. And yet Psalm 139, uh, still, even though broken by choice, our, our gracious, loving God uh, pursues us in spite of the fact of our brokenness in that. And if we don't understand that, we really don't understand why we're here and, and why we even live in a broken world. That tells the story of it. But it's not just about looking back to understand the full story. We also have to take a look ahead. And so in looking ahead with the story, we, we saw that unless the Lord returns, uh, bad news, uh, there's a time to die. Uh, there is a time to die. That's just a fact. Uh, because of sin, death came along. And there is a time to die that is ahead. And, and there's a time to stand uh, Revelation 19 and 20. And for the person, for those who are in Christ, who know Christ as their Savior, there is a wonderful time to reign with the Lord, uh, Revelation 21, 22, in that into the future. And I want to say it this way. We live in a dot on the line of eternity. And it's a, it's a hopeful reality that if you know Christ as your Savior, the line of eternity is going to be, well, awesome in that reality of it. And yet we live in a broken war zone right now because of, as we understand, looking back. Well, we looked back, we, we looked ahead, and then we were right at the time where uh, Easter, so we uh, took a look to the cross and the resurrection. It's the, the pinnacle point. Uh, Genesis 3 talked about there was one that would coming that would deal Satan a lethal blow. And that one uh, is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, born in the flesh to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, going to the cross, conquering sin, conquering death, and making the provision of his work available to all who would receive. And, and that is the key point on being able to then, well, uh, live new. We, we then uh, dove into the living new here recently and an understanding that uh, when a person comes to Christ, when a person receives Christ as their Savior, they are made new before the Godhead in that reality. Uh, and that made new also carries with it a called to new. It's not just made new and it's done over, okay, do whatever you want, but that made new includes a called to new reality with it. And the wonderful thing is, is that that called to new reality carries with it the fact that God has equipped us for the new. The made new, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, uh, anyone who is in Christ, they have been made new. And then uh, you've been called to new, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk 
in him. And yet then out of that call to, to walk in him, there is this reality as we studied about we are made new, we are called anew, we are equipped for that new. We're equipped with the spirit of God, we're equipped with the word of God, and we're equipped with the people of God. God doesn't ask us to be something. God doesn't ask us to do something without the equipping us to be able to do that. Hope in that, right? Hope in that. And uh, that is so much of the story uh, of where we came from and what went wrong and yet what's ahead and, and what's taken place and where we live now and the call for our lives now and all of that. So key, so important. And, and I'll, I'll say that uh, one of the greatest misses in the whole living new conversation of this is, is that we don't remind ourselves of this story. I want to suggest, and the reason I put uh, this bottom part of this screen here on it is for us to remember the whole story. And this is the story that we should be reminding ourselves, rehearsing in our head, if I can say it this way, preaching to ourselves a hundred times a day. I mean, and I'll tell you, it just takes a moment. Wait a second. Uh, there, there's a, a look back, uh, created by God, placed by God, a broken by choice, and, and yet still loved and pursued by God. And, and there, there's, a, there's a forward, there's a time to die. Listen, life now is serious. There's a time to stand. Life now is serious. There's a time to reign. Life in Christ is what it's all about. And it's all because of the cross and the resurrection. And, and God is in that when I receive Christ as my Savior, I've been made new and called anew and, and, and equipped for that new. And by the way, all that can, can be condensed in like nano seconds of time. And we should be rehearsing that and preaching that in our heads again and again. And I think one of the reasons that we struggle to live new, to be growing and changing as Christ is because we don't rehearse that story in our head throughout the day. And even at work, at school, at home, on the road, on the roundabouts, through the traffic, through the various things of life that are going on, all of this puts a context on, on what's going on. And because it is out of the knowing that the doing has roots to it. It is out of the knowing that the doing has a reality to it. And I would even suggest without understanding the story, we get lost in the present. And so oftentimes, no wonder we're not growing and changing because we're not rehearsing the story of where we live and what God has done in that. And so in that, I then ask the question out of, this is all the knowing, so what does living new in Christ look like? I'm a very visual guy. I think most of us are nowadays. And so like, give me a picture and that'll preach to me. And so let me give you a picture. Well, well, let me begin with some five pictures of what living new in Christ does not look like, okay? Here's just some that are possibilities that came to my mind. One is it does not look like Mr. Self-Righteous. Uh, in Christ is not you are awesome in yourself. It is not you are superior, you are above all. It is not that. It's not that you've achieved, you're one of the chosen or however you want to term it. It's not that you have achieved it and all the other losers in the world haven't. Uh, out with that, right? Uh, out with that. That's pride, that's self-righteousness, that's Phariseeism. By the way, that doesn't fit in the story either. Because the fact of the matter is we're created by God, placed by God, and we are broken by choice. And if it were not for the cross and the resurrection, we are in deep trouble. And not that. Here's another one, misunworthy. You know, it's like, well, you know, we're all broken and I'm, I'm just totally worthless. I'm, I'm a failure. I'm unworthy of God's attention, of his love. If you only knew what I've done and the things that I've done. Here's the cool thing God does know. And he loves you. 
He loves you. In fact, he came and died on the cross for you to take the wrath of the Father. And listen, uh, this, this Miss Unworthy, Mr. Unworthy thing, listen, friends, it's not a pat on your back that you are righteous and awesome, but the fact of the matter is, is you've been created by God, and God loves you. Also, another one, it's not as miscritical. You know, it's kind of like, well, you know, I've been redeemed and the Holy Spirit has is, is, uh, made his home in me and so I am the Holy Spirit incarnate and I'm going to judge and evaluate everything and everyone. No, out with that, right? Uh, by the way, may I just remind uh, critical hearts, uh, you will stand before the Lord one day and uh, he will reign. Okay? We're not awesome. Here's a fourth one that can be, you know, Mr. Smarty Pants. You know, kind of like, uh, you know, smartest people are the people that God loves most, you know, because we know how to fill in all the Jeopardy Bible questions, and we know the theology answers and all that, you know. Man, sometimes, you know, and, and we, let's debate, and I would say maybe irritate, you know, just like stop it, just stop it. Maybe God has gifted you with a brain that I don't have and others have. Get humble, because the Lord is the one who is the smarty pants. Right? The Lord knows. And I'll just conclude it with this one. I think it can be kind of a uh, something in all of us. Mr. Couch Potato. You know, kind of a living new in Christ is not, hey, I, I've received Christ as my Savior. I'm redeemed in Christ. And so now let's just kick it back and wait it out until, you know, the Lord returns or he takes me home. So, you know, I, I got the golden ticket. It's not that. Not that. It's, listen, yes, you have been made new in Christ, but you've also been called to new and you've been equipped for that new. Get off the couch and let's get after it for Jesus in your life and in our world for that. So what does it look like? Well, I might just remind you because of, uh, you know, I'm going to be retiring here in about nine months from now. And so I'll annoy you with the things that I love here for a little while. I've got a little bit more time left to be able to do that. So here's the deal. I would suggest the picture of Maximus Decimus Meridius. Yeah, baby. That's what we're talking about. Uh, listen, the, the, the shield of faith, I'm making this biblical, man. The shield of faith and the, the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. That, that's it. I mean, we're talking that, friends. That's what, th this is what living new in Christ looks like. Uh, that has this idea of we're in a war, and, and I'm engaged in that war. And it's like, come on, let's go. Let's roll. This isn't couch potato. In fact, let's just like get rid of those five because they're really annoying me. And uh, uh, like, let, let's uh, just stay on here. This is the picture. This is the picture of what it's about. And with that, I want to fill one more thing on a, on a review here on the whiteboard, if you will, on the side screens uh, before we move on to Colossians chapter three. And it's this. I think this center screen picture puts in a seriousness about it. And uh, oftentimes living new and growing in Christ can be talked about in very complex and made complex. It, it isn't. Biblically, it is actually quite simple, but life is complex, right? So I, I want to keep it simple. I've tried to keep the whole story simple, looking back, looking ahead, uh, looking to the cross and resurrection and living new. So let me fill one more thing on and where we're at right now in this series and closing this series out. And I would start it with uh, each of these four words could begin with getting serious about my. 
getting serious about my, it begins with a few weeks ago, uh, getting serious about my thinking. We're in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. Listen, friends, this is where the battle is. This is where it is. Biblically, this is the heart. This is the mind. This is the control center. It all takes place here. The war happens here. That's the reality of it. It's in our thinking. Secondly, getting serious about my repentance. That was last Sunday. Psalm 32 out of that. I'm, I'm, I'm literally last week, I'm trying to change the, the tone, the feel, even the hearing of the word repentance from something like, ah, I want to stay away from that, actually to something like, listen, the Lord loves this place. The Lord loves repentance. The Lord loves it when a person comes to know Christ as their Savior through repentance. And the Lord loves it when his children come to him in repentance as they continue working out their salvation. Repentance is not a punishment place. Repentance is a grace-filled place. And I am convinced that in my life and others' life, this is a place we don't frequent enough. There is something about in the repentance place, even as a redeemed person in Christ, that keeps us humble, that keeps us understanding who the Lord is, that keeps us understanding that we are frail and we are dependent upon and in need of him. The repentance place is a wonderful place to be and we should frequent it often. It's a wonderful, glorious place, friends. Getting serious about my thinking, getting serious about my repentance. Third word is today, getting serious about my sin. We're going to be in Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11 here in a little bit. And then next Sunday is going to be beginning serious about my Christ-likeness. It's actually the next paragraph in Colossians 3. I think if there is one chapter in the Bible that is my chapter for what it looks like for growing and changing in Christ, it's Colossians 3. So we're finishing this series there with that. Uh, getting serious about my thinking, serious about my repentance, serious about my sin, serious about my Christ-likeness. Uh, just by the way, kind of a hands, knees, shoulders, toes, whatever that is, uh, a song thing, a way to remember this. In my thinking, that's my head. Uh, that's right here. Repentance, that's my knees. Down on our knees often. Calluses on our knees is a good thing. And then hands, that's what's today. Uh, I'm going to war just like Maximus. <laughs> We're going to war with our hands. But, but hear me on this. We do not move forward if we do not move our feet. And our feet, I'm associating with the aspect of growing and changing and increasing in Christ-likeness. It's not just about battling the war. It's not just about battling the sin. Oh, it is, as we'll see here in a minute. But it is also, next Sunday, about moving forward in Christ-likeness. Otherwise, we're standing still, always fighting, instead of advancing forward and growing forward. So with that, 15 minutes, spot on the dot. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. And God, I pray as we dive in that uh, you would do a work in us. We are right now in the part of this series where this is like serious, active, at work, going at it stuff. And we're frail. We may even be coming into this room today discouraged, worn out, scarred up. We just didn't even, maybe don't even know if we can continue fighting. I just pray for encouragement, refreshment. On our knees, you working in our minds, 
help us with this subject of getting serious about sin. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Just make a note, uh, in the printed Bibles, uh, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, which is called to new, is literally right across the kind of the page or, of Colossians chapter 3. So I'm actually going to begin in Colossians 2, 6, and 7, and then I'll go over to chapter 3. I want to read the first paragraph of chapter 3 as well. Here we go, verse 6, chapter 2. Therefore, as you receive, just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so what? So walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Jump over to chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are, what? Above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God uh, the Father. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. Ooh, that's interesting. And your life is hidden with Christ in God the Father. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Just a couple notes on this. This isn't the core of the text, but I think this is fascinating because essentially chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 tells the story. Let me just make some notations of that. Verse one, if then you have been raised with Christ. It's a conditional uh, statement. If means if, right? By the way, if implies there are some who have and some who have not. There are some who are, there are some who are not. If then you have been raised in Christ, and that word raised in Christ is used in chapter two just shortly before it in talking about a conversation of being redeemed in Christ. You are raised in Christ. Also Ephesians chapter two, one through 10, one of my favorite texts. And in that text, it talks about raised with Christ. This is a common use particularly of Paul. When we come to Christ, we are raised with Christ. We are redeemed in Christ. If you have been raised with Christ, begs the question of this, have you you come to know Christ as your Savior? Have you? I use the terminology of, have you driven the stake in the ground and received Christ as your Savior? I'm not talking about, do you know about? I'm not even talking about, do you believe in? But has there come a point in time where you have received Christ as your Savior of your sins? And if there hasn't been a time, then you need to start there. Because actually what's in the text is talking to those who have been raised with Christ. It starts there. By the way, that reminds us of the cross and the resurrection in the whole of the story. It also reminds us of the fact that we've all been broken by choice. Uh, then in verse 1, then seek the things that are above. Interesting, it's seek, that verb is a present active imperative in the original language. Paul is, uses that form of verbs throughout this text. Present active, it means presently, continuously, actively. It's not, a, it's not a verb referring to an action in the past. It's not a verb referring to an action in the future. It's not a, a verb that's referring, referring to an aorist, what it would be called as an act that just happened on its own event. It's a it's a present, active, continuous. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's a directive. It's not a suggestion. You must seek the things that are above. If you've been raised with Christ, you must be seeking the things that are above. By the way, made new, called anew. 
I mean, we're, we're, we're leaning into the Lord. Uh, this is what is to be a, a reality for us. Verse 2, and set your minds on things above. That verb set, that is also a present active imperative. You must be setting. You don't set your mind on things that are above once. It's not like, hey, I did that last week or last month or two years ago. No, no, no. Set your minds on things that are above now. Oh, by the way, and now. Oh, by the way, and now, and now, and now, and now. And you must do that. It's this is where growing and changing in Christ is not just about uh, floating along. Growing and changing in Christ is a seeking and a setting reality. There's an intensity here that's coming out of this text. It looks like Maximus, not like couch potato. Hey, seriously, if couch potato has been defining your life with Christ over the last weeks, months, years, no wonder you haven't grown and changed. No wonder. You must be seeking. You must be setting. There's an activity on our part. We're not earning it, but we're leaning in. Verse 3, for you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ. That's cool. That's going back to the cross and resurrection. That's going back to the fact of having been made new, called new, equipped for new. And then verse 4, it's a looking ahead statement. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. All of this conversation carries out the story. And this is why I invested the months of of us pouring into the story. Because if we don't know the story seriously, we won't be doing the story seriously. And then we get into the core of this next paragraph in chapter three, getting serious about my sin. This next paragraph, verses five through 11, is going to be the center of the remainder of our time here for the bit that we have. I want for you to understand this paragraph is actually in the original language, was written in two sentences. Uh, in, in epistles, thought moves by paragraphs and sentences. We have uh, many sentences here, and it has a tendency to kind of break up what's happening. But in the original, Paul wrote two sentences in verses 5 through 11. 5 and 6 is one sentence, and then 7 through 11 is another. He writes like an attorney in all of that reality. And both of these sentences, when you look at them, they have a pattern to them. The first sentence begins with a present active imperative call. There's a call to do something. Both of them start with that. Then after that, there's an example list within each of those sentences. And then it concludes with an explanation of why. Why be present actively, imperatively doing those two things? The end of the sentence, here's why. So I want for you to know the, the focus of my attention here is going through is on the beginning of the sentence and the end of the sentence because that's the meat. The middle, the list, we'll make mention of that, but that just helps fill in some examples of it. So so let's dive into these. There's two calls because there's two sentences. The imperative call of sentence one is this, put them all to death. Verse five, put to death, therefore, by the way, referring back to the first four verses, in light of what you know, in light of the story of the gospel, therefore, Put to death what is earthly in you. By the way, very interesting note here. We have a tendency to think that, well, Satan is the one who brings the temptation around me. Actually, you see what he's saying? It's in you. This is speaking, by the way, to redeem believers in Christ. 
Yes, covered by the work of Christ, made righteous before the, the Father because of the work of Christ, and yet we are working out our salvation. We, we, we've talked about that. And here in this, there is this put-to-death call about something that is in. Listen, it is understood that there is the, the temptation for us out there, but it is in. And I need to make this very clear. This was tremendously helpful for me in my walk with Christ. When Paul says put that sin to death, it is not make it extinct. It is not a call to make it extinct. And I say that because of this. The call is a present active imperative. It's a put it to death. You must presently, actively, continually. It's put it to death now, put it to death now, put it to death now, put it to death now. If, if it were, put it to death so that it never comes after you again. By the way, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? I'm telling you, this clarity on this helps us understand oftentimes where I've watched believers in Christ and myself get so frustrated because it's why doesn't this temptation ever stop? Because listen, wars are never about a single battle. Enemies don't sit here and go, you know what? I'm going to bring one battle and if they win that one, then I'm going home. That's not how it works. Listen, Satan, sin, the reality of it is not here for a moment. It is here until, oh, uh, Revelation 20, until the Lord makes it extinct. And he will. But right now, sin is prowling after us. Not only outside of us, but I think Paul is saying inside of us. In fact, let, let me put a picture to that with it because uh, like um, uh, you got to feel it. All right, we got Maximus in the center, right? Okay, let, let's go to the next picture. That's the war. By the way, the side screen wolf, I, I, I know how he thinks. <laughs> work with me. <laughs> but biblically, we do. He's not, I'm going to give it one shot. And if he pushes me off, I'm going to tuck my tail between my legs and go home. No, 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 no. He's on the prowl for as long as he possibly can be on the prowl until the Lord makes sin, sin extinct or until we see the Lord face to face, whether it's by his return or by our death. Friends, this is the reality. And couch potato people getting eaten up in this. But Maximus people, <laughs> they go to war. And they understand, I'm not going to make that wolf extinct. Man, that would be awesome if that happened. But the fact that it's going to come, and it's going to come, and it's going to come. And every time it comes, I'm going to go after it to kill it. So, so the wolf's creeping me out. So let's go back to our note slide. All right? Listen, Paul's call here is not the idea of to make that sin extinct. Paul's idea here is to, uh, we are to approach each and every attack to kill it. The one right now, and the one right now, and the one right now, and the one tomorrow, and the one the next day. And by the way, it often shows up looking very much the same. It's not about extinction. It's about each and every attack. 
There's a quote in Gladiator movie that says, again and again and again, and it's creepy as all get out in the movie. And that's what the enemy wants. Again and again and again after you and me. And question, do we, are we armed up? Do we have, listen, this is, say it this way, this is not about finality, this is about a tenacity. God, give us a tenacity to war against every attack with the mindset, I'm killing it now. Man, that, that, that takes an intensity to it. Oh, by the way, and then he gives a list. Like, here's some examples of what war in you. Sexual immorality. By the way, when you think Paul would warm his way up, you know, it's kind of like, you know, like, let me start with kind of like, you know, be kind to each other, don't be mean. But he's like, boom, out of the gate. Might that be saying something? I'm straight on the table. Might that be saying something that a man of God opens up with that as a struggle? Yeah. Yeah. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. This, this list here is, uh, the first word in Greek is porneia sin. That sounds familiar. It's illicit sexual sin. It can be porn sin. It can be outside of marriage sexual sin. Kill it. Impurity sin is broader than porneia sin. It's just loose living sin. Attack it. Kill it. Passion uh, or impurity, I'm sorry, passion sin, inordinate affection, war it every time, evil desire sin. It's similar to passion, but it's related more on what's going on in the mind. War it every time, evil desire uh, sin. Then there's covetousing, coveting sin. That's always going on in our heads. Uh, I, I, I lust for more. I gotta have more. If I just had that, uh, I've gotta have it. It's idolatry in the head. Kill it. Don't play with it. Don't tackle it. Don't frustrate it. Don't irritate it. Don't slow it. Don't give it a talking to. Don't give it a time out. Kill it. That's the call. Presently, actively, imperatively. Gladiator up. That's the call of the text. God's people gladiator it up. And don't you get tired in the war? I do. I've heard it said, sometimes don't you just wish you could change your, strength, your sin struggle with someone else's sin struggle just to have like a different, something different. <laughs> sin is tiring. Uh, by the way, uh, why? Why kill it? Uh, answer, because sin is serious to God. Look at the end of what is the end of the first sentence, verse six. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Wait, so, so why kill it? Because God abhors sin. That's why. 
Understand, what he's not saying is that God is going to bring wrath on his children, but it's just the understanding that, listen, God is going to bring his wrath because of sins like these. That means that these are sins that are serious to God, and if these are serious to God and he is going to pour out his wrath on things like this, then my goodness, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I should abhor those things. God's people are to love increasingly so what God loves and abhor increasingly so what God abhors. And God abhors these things things, and that's all we need to know to abhor these. Oh, God, help us to hate sin, amen? Because sometimes we don't. Sentence number one, it's the imperative call to put them all to death. Why? Because sin is serious to God. Sentence number two in the Greek is put them all away. Uh, starting in verse 7, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Really interesting. It's kind of like, Paul, didn't you just say that? But uh, maybe Paul is like, he, he knows it's so important that he wants to take another run at it. You know, it's like, let me put it in some different terms. Maybe that'll help you. Maybe that's part of what is going on, but I actually think it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. Well, why put them all away? Well, because of what the end of the sentence says. So let me do this. The end of the sentence, the point is because Christ is our identity, because our identity is in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. Hang with me. Let me read the second sentence, which is verses 7 through 11. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them, what? All away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. It's interesting. It's like the first list was kind of, I would maybe term it, lust items. And now we got fussing items, <laughs> fighting items. Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And do not lie. By the way, do you know, do not lie to one another. He's writing to God's people. Hmm. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. Uh, this sentence continues on. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Why put off, uh, why put them all away? Because Christ is all and in all. L let, me, let me work this. Paul is, I think, doubling down on his comment to put them all to death, but I actually think he's making a very interesting and helpful uh, understanding, not only just put them to death, but put them all away. By the way, did, did you see the identity politics that's in here? I'm telling you, times have not changed. Do you see in verse 11, here there is not Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free fascinating. It's like uh, in Paul's day, there was like, well, we're going to put you in categories. You know, uh, Christian uh, Jews over here, uh, uh, Christian Greeks here, Christian circumcised, I don't even want to go there. Um, you know, Scythian barbarian here, okay, and now slave here, Christian, and, and Christian free here. What is that? That's what we do today. Yeah. Our world loves to do that, loves to group people. And, and by the way, let's just be very careful because it's easy to say about our world, but Paul's writing, writing to God's people. And by the way, we do it too. 
We can do it with each other. Let me, let me make, try and make an example here. We can taxidermy our sin struggles. We can taxidermy our sin struggles. You know, you, know you, you kill it, you stuff it, and you hang it on the wall to admire. I took that one out. Yeah, that battle, and, and then there was another battle, and that battle. Wait, 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 wait. Paul said, no, 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 no. Don't hang them on a wall. Put them away, because that's not your identity. Uh, listen, I, I'm just going to say this. I don't want to uh, push anyone too far. I just, I'm asking that you think about this. I'm concerned even about the statement like, I'm a recovering whatever. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm a recovering drug addict. I'm a recovering sex addict. I'm a recovering control freak. I don't know. I'm a recovering Patriots fan. I, I, I don't know <laughs> what, it, what it is. Listen, that can have the tendency to make that our identity. Your sin struggle is not your identity. If you are in Christ, Christ is your identity. Hang that on the wall. Another illustration, getting really personal now. Our world loves to fly the flag of our sin struggle. Um... They're identity flags for all kinds of things now. Follower of Christ, fly the flag of Jesus, please. If you are redeemed in Christ, you have sin struggles. I don't know if others know that. <laughs> you have sin struggles. And I'm not talking just to your neighbor. I'm talking to you and me. And my sin struggles may not be the same as your sin struggles. And your sin struggles may not be the same as my sin struggles. And you may not understand. Got to catch a breath. I'm getting really intense. And your sin struggles may not be ones that I understand, but I understand the struggle. And my sin struggles, you may go like, what? But you understand the struggle. And we understand the sin struggle. But our sin is not our identity. Jesus is. And there is all kinds of hope in that. You are not your sin struggle. If you are redeemed in Christ, you are redeemed in Christ. Gladiator up. And this is the hope. That's the good news. Let's not be Jew, Greek, Barbarian, Scythian people. Let's be Jesus people who are all struggling in the war. How refreshing would that be?
Friends, there is a time for gathering together around with those who have the same sin struggles. There is a time and a place for that. Fly the flag of Jesus. You see, we're called to put them all away or to put them to death. And we put them to death because, well, sin is serious to our God. And don't just put them to death and, you know, hang on to them. Put them away. Because your identity is not in your sin. Your identity is in your Savior. Growing and changing in Christ is not that complicated. But it requires our life. It requires seriousness of thinking. It requires seriousness on our knees. The repentance place is a beautiful place. And it requires our hands at war against sin. And Philippians 2.13 says, it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good purposes. So hear me today. Today is not the call for you to man and woman up. Today is the call for us to lean into the Lord and God help us to will and to work. We're dependent on you even to do the warring. Let's be that. On our knees. God help us. Gladiators. For you. So Lord, I, I am here and we are here and we fall to our figurative knees. And we ask for your help. God, I pray maybe today that just going through this text would would fire people up. Maybe would rejuvenate that tenacity battery in us to go to war against sin. Oh, it's tiring. And you, you know we're weak. You know we're frail. And yet you want to be the one who's the victory, the victor in it. So God, would you help us? Would you give us the will? Would you give us the ability? Would you give us that, that, that tenacity? that endurance. We are dependent upon you for our salvation and we are dependent upon you for our daily sanctification. And that's a good place to be. But I, I pray for the person maybe in this room where they just have a life-dominating sin going on. It is ruining the relationship with you. It is destroying the relationship with others. It is either, even destroying themselves. God, Spirit of God, do an empowering work in them. Our eyes are on you because you're the flag we wave. You're what we hang on our wall. Do a work. 
Amen.